Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 72 of the podcast. It's the 17th of May, 2017, as I record this intro. In this episode, I have a fascinating conversation with Sophie Christoffi. Sophie is an unschooling mom and self-directed scholar investigating the relationships between and impact of the history of childhood, education and parenthood, and our current social norms, systems, and behavior. We talk about her personal unschooled Master of Arts project and dig into the motivation behind it. And she explains how her experience has made her feel even more passionate, even more convinced that unschooling is a brilliant way to go about life and to learn about stuff. It's a really fun conversation. I thought I'd share a lovely review the podcast received on iTunes recently from Eva Whipple. I just found this podcast. My daughter is 11 months old, but I've been reading about unschooling for several years now. My husband and I were publicly schooled and felt uninspired and bored by the education, for the most part. We are so looking forward to unschooling, aka continuing to live joyfully, with our daughter and future kids. This podcast is an inspiring and informative resource. Thank you. And thank you, Eva. I love that you're finding the podcast helpful on your journey. And a big thank you to everyone supporting the show on Patreon. And a big welcome to new patron, Christy Buxton. I really appreciate you guys. You inspire me to keep going. I love that you're helping me share unschooling information with anyone who wants to explore ways to live this wonderful lifestyle with their family. If you'd like to support the show, even for as little as a dollar a month, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. This week's quote is from Sophie. I feel like just imagining our children's adult experiences, experiences when they are older, when they are making much higher risk choices like to get married or to buy a property, or they are taking this job or that job or where they are going to live. Help them out by not disorientating them. Just allow them to be themselves the whole way. Then hopefully, when they reach the point of making those decisions, they are going to be so much closer to what they actually want to do deep down. Thinking of conventional childhood is as a disorientation process, one that spins spins kids round and round and round, and then stops them abruptly at age 18 and says, welcome to adulthood, off you go. But by then, they've lost their grip on who they really are. And then we spend so much of the next decades trying to rediscover ourselves. As Sophie says, if only we'd just not done the spinning in the first place. And that's what we're trying to do in our families through unschooling, not spin our kids around, not disorient them, help them stay connected with themselves so they don't have to recover. It's such a powerful image. And now on to the interview with Sophie. Hi, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca. And today I'm here with Sophie Christoffi. Hi, Sophie. Hi, Pam. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. I was lucky enough to meet Sophie during an episode of For the Love of Learning that we both participated in. And I also really enjoyed reading her blogs. She has two of them. And I'm sure we will hear lots more about them as we dive into our conversation. But to get us started, Sophie, can you share with us a bit about you and your family and how you guys came to unschooling? Yeah, sure thing. So um, there's me, Sophie, and I've got two children who are nearly seven and nearly four years old. And um, we also live with my husband, who happens to be a secondary school teacher. And we live in the UK. And how did you guys come to unschooling? Um, It was, well, I want to say it was a a kind of natural evolution from when we first had our babies. Um, we had, you know, we were, we were, fell into an attachment parenting type dynamic without knowing that it was called attachment parenting just straight away. 
um, felt as though our babies were little people and, you know, um, were trying to partner with them from when they were born. Just, I don't know, intuitively or that was just how it was working. And so every time we came to a, a social milestone for when they would then go into some sort of institutionalised environment for learning like preschool or school, um, it just was a bit of an issue because it did, we you know we were trying to fit one jigsaw piece into this jigsaw and it just whatever way we turned it just didn't fit. Yeah. <laughs> so we're like, huh, okay, so this is not going to work. I guess we'll just carry on doing what we're doing, seeing as there seems to be like zero problem with it in terms of their actual learning and development. And so I guess that's how we came to be unschoolers. Um, and throughout that process, I've like massively been de-schooling myself because. I was kind of like a golden child of the established system. And up until then, you know, my, my lens on, on mainstream education and on um, school was very positive because that had been my personal experience of it. Um, and so I've had to do a lot of work, you know, rewiring my brain and, and, and step, you know, stepping back and getting this much bigger picture of how the whole thing works. Um, in order to be able to understand what we actually wanted to do and um, yeah so it's been a really interesting but for the children it's completely fine like it's normal they're just you know you're born ready I was saying yeah. that um, it's, it's the adults that have got the problem so I'm like working on my problems I, I help other parents with that too yeah I find it was so interesting because I too you know I did well at school and through university and it was an enjoyable experience for me. Um, so to start questioning it when I saw that it didn't mesh well for my kids, that was, it was really eye opening, wasn't it? You know, there's this whole, mm -hmm. whole new set of questions and things to ponder. And yeah, I find that, that uh, moving to unschooling was so much more about my de-schooling in my work then even though my kids it went to school for a while because I didn't know that they legally uh, didn't have to um, they took to it so fast versus myself I had a lot of questions to go through right yeah and I'm like a third generation educationalist so my grandfather was a hair teacher my parents have both been teachers my husband's a teacher. I mean, that's just our family is just full of the oh. education system. Really. Yeah. Um, but I think because, you know, in our society, if you want, if you're the type of person that wants to support the development of other people and you want to share your passions, then, then you're naturally going to gravitate towards the word teacher. And in our, you know, in terms of how things are now, the option for that is within schools. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people find themselves in that setting and then realize that you know there there are ways that it's somewhat you know they can't do the job they want to do even within that the current setup so um i think that the the lucky thing that we've experienced is because we've been able to look outside the existing constructs for an education and and really observe our children as their development has unfolded it kind of opens up your mind to this idea well actually like school is one setting for this process and it's not the only one and it's not necessarily the one that is most efficient or you know it, it supports people's well-being and all the rest of it so yeah it's like I find it like a Rubik's cube to like figure out this whole this whole thing really yeah oh I love that image yeah that's true and I when you I know a few teachers and um like in in my husband's family, his uh, his sister and now their their daughter and and all sorts of uh, education experience on that side, and it it is really interesting to watch their journey too as they engage with the idea mm -hmm. of what we're doing. Yeah, it's very fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, last summer, you started a personal project that you have called an unschooled master of arts. And I would love to hear the story behind that. Um, yeah, so last year, I mean, for about the last 10 years, I would say I've been informally researching and exploring subjects around childhood, parent, parenting culture, children's rights, education, and, you know, all of it, that what happens after you're born before you get called an adult, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, it had been, you know, just on the hoof, like, 
I would spend a lot of my time devoted to exploring it, but I didn't really have like a, a system or a structure. I wasn't very organized in what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So although I felt as though I was becoming like much more knowledgeable about it and I was understanding things better, um, I just felt as though it would help me to like put that into a, some sort of structure, which made it way, way, way more tangible and just to do it in a more organized way so that I, you know, I could just see what I was working with a bit better rather than it just being scattered and so I thought, well, you know, maybe I should do some, maybe I should do a postgraduate thing, you know, in it, <laughs> if that exists. <laughs> um, because, and so I went to have a look to see if it did exist, because, you know, the, the subjects that we're talking about are emerging subjects, really. Yeah. So it's not, it's, they're not well established in academic circles. So I wasn't even sure if there was such a thing as a course on children's rights and education or um you know parenthood like is that does that exist out there so I had a look and I did find a course in London at one of the universities in London and it was called something like uh, children's rights and education and it looked really good like it was pretty close to what I wanted to be learning about um and so I thought oh I know you know this this seems to have solved my problem I'll just sign up to this and I can access on, on the train and it will be fine but then I was like well you know it's 12,000 pounds yeah like that we definitely don't have like <laughs> so it was like so it's twelve thousand pounds worth of probably debt and mm-hmm. also it's train journeys that I really can't afford to do so that's like more problems that I was creating that in a way the course that was offered solved some of my problems but it just created a whole bunch of other problems you know it's going to make me more stressed because I'd have to make sure I didn't miss any classes I would have deadlines that were beyond my control you know, I knew that it would that would negatively impact on our family life and definitely on the children because, you know, the more stressed you are, the worse a parent you are, essentially, as far as I can yeah. tell. So, <laughs> it's kind of like, well, I could do this, but it will just end up being massively ironic because it will actually diminish <laughs> our families and schooling. So it doesn't really make any sense. And then I was like, you know, isn't it a bit of a cop-out? Because I'm a passionate advocate of unschooling and and to then be like, oh, I'm just to go to school, like to do my learning just seemed a bit ridiculous. And so I thought, well, why not unschool it? Just unschool it. Mm-hmm. You know, walk the walk. If you can talk kind of thing. And I also thought, because I, I really believe that you can unschool learning at any level in any sphere. Pretty much. I mean, I would exclude like potentially some areas where there's like high life and death risk. But generally, if it's just, you know, if you're, if you're looking to, to pursue your learning in a subject, then then I think that there isn't really anywhere that should be considered particularly out of bounds. So even though it's higher education, you know, and formal structured learning that's postgraduate level, um, I thought it would be really smart to test the theory. Like, is it possible? Can I can I work to that standard without being a university? Can, I, you know, will it work? And so, in a way, it became this really, really great opportunity to test the theories that I believed in, model um, self-directed, you know, higher education academic work to my children. So I think that as unschoolers, it helps us, you know, it helps our families out if we're if we're 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 modelling what we think is cool and. And I just thought that it made sense to just go for it and try. So last summer, um, I started the blog and I wanted also to make it really accessible because one of the reasons that I was doing it in this way was for financial reasons. Um, I just wanted to have, you know, create a space that could potentially inspire other people who also face that barrier, that they could also pursue their own higher learning, you know, academic learning. Um, without having to get thousands of pounds worth into debt, basically, that they could just take ownership of it and do it themselves. And I felt like the most useful way to do that would just be to be totally transparent in what I was doing. So I blog everything. Like I blogged all my notes, my working notes as I go along. My whole process is just in the blog. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's worked out really well so far. I mean, I'm really happy with it. The thing is, one of the main reasons, as I mentioned, that I'm doing it is because my time is really in demand and I've got commitments with my family that um, can't really be compromised on. So I knew I needed something that was going to be really flexible and could fit into the gaps. And the beauty of doing your own master's programme is that you can leave it and it can just sit there. You know, right now it's been hanging out for a while because I've been really caught up in other stuff. 
and it's just waiting until I've got the time to come back to it again. And that doesn't matter. It makes zero difference. I'm not trying to finish it at any fixed point in the future. I'll just carry on on it until I'm done with it. You know, when I've reached that point where I feel like I've done enough. Um, And, you know, the other brilliant thing about it is that while the course that I discovered that was available at a university in London was really good, I would say probably two thirds of it were covering things I really wanted to look at. But there was definitely a third of the of the curriculum that I just knew wasn't really relevant for what I need. And the beauty of unschooling it is that you can create a really agile um, curriculum for yourself and you can you can just, you know, do what you need to do as it unfolds and explore where you need to explore and answer your own questions as you go along. So at the point when I started, I didn't have a finalised plan for what I was going to be studying. You know, I didn't have like a book list that was conclusive and, and everything. I, I said right in the start um, of writing it that that was going to be an evolving process. Um, and just having that flexibility and agility means that I'm using my time to learn the things I actually need and want to learn. I mean, it's just exactly like we think of the benefits of being, you know, the benefits of unschooling at a different life stage, perhaps, or at a different level of learning. Um, you just see the same thing. And by me doing it myself, I'm really feeling that. I'm experiencing what does it feel like to learn under your own self-direction. And I have to say that without a doubt, it's a far, far, far superior experience of learning than anything I did in a formal institution. Like, it doesn't even compare. Um, and that has been just such an enlightening experience because... You know, I always believed in the theory of unschooling and now experiencing the practice just makes me feel even more passionate, even more convinced that it's just, you know, an, a brilliant way to, to go about life and to, to learn about stuff. I love that whole project. I mean, it really, it makes so much sense. I got goosebumps when you're <laughs> talking about that. Because, and I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I just love it. It is it's, prof- it's a profound experience to self-direct your own academic study at this level. It really is. I can't, you know, that's that's just, you know, it's just a brilliant experience. It really is. Oh, I can I can just imagine, yeah, because you are total, you have total total control, and, and <laughs> it, it's just amazing to think of, um, like you said, the flexibility to to match it to your schedule, your choice to, you know, not take that that extra course that that, you know, English for engineers or whatever it is, you know, that that (laughs) extra stuff that you aren't particularly interested in. And to be able to um, dive in and and let it grow, because that's one of the things we see with our kids, right, is when they're really, uh, diving into an interest, it takes you so many places that you never imagined it would go, right? So to have that flexibility to to follow it um, and how it meshes with uh, what your next question is, what your next question is, it's, it's yeah. I love that word, profound. It's such a personal way of learning, right? Yeah, and I would say it's also a really accelerated way to de-school mm-hmm. because while you're going through it, it shines a light on schooled behaviours and schooled beliefs and school biases that I had been completely oblivious of prior to doing it. Wow. Now, you think that you're schooling in one way, but in, but by doing this, it just, you know, things like, um, things like uh, I was sent a whole bunch of really brilliant documents by um, my unschooled master's tutor, mm-hmm. <laughs> who actually lives in Canada. Um, he, he's acting as like a sounding board for me. Um, and he's a, prof- you know, he works in, in a university, um, but he's unschooling his own with his own children too. So he was really into the project. Um, but as soon as it landed in my inbox, immediately I started to feel like a panic feeling. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, he's expecting me to read everything. Oh my God, if I don't read everything, he's going to think I'm like ridiculous and this whole thing is pointless and meaningless. And, you know, I, I just became like really overwhelmed and I could see it straight away. That was a schooled reaction. Yeah. That was, a, was what I experienced at university or at school. You know, I, at university, I used to pick a oh, which essay shall I do? I'll do the one with the shortest reading list mm-hmm. because that means less work. Right. So yeah. I was just 
I had I, I hadn't even thought about that experience, but then I, I started to think about it after my panic had subsided. Um, and I was like, no, like, hang on a minute. He sent it to me. So I have like the opportunity to use it if I want. Like it's still my project. I don't have to do anything with it if I don't want to. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. that that whole thing, like the whole power over dynamic, which is just inherent through the whole education system, including university level, where you're performing to an external person. You know, I felt that. I felt that that feeling again. And I had to, you know, do a bit of re- rewiring and practice. Like, no, like it's my thing. <laughs> you know? I'm up to myself it's okay like and then I emailed him afterwards and said I have to tell you I felt so panicked when you sent that through to me I'm so grateful because I know trying to help me but I just thought you would have an expectation about what I did with it and that if I didn't meet that expectation then it would undermine me and it would make you know it would just diminish me in some way in your eyes and he emailed back and said I just I just sent you that much because I wanted you to have a choice like maybe you'll use like three or four bits. Like I really don't care. Like go for it. You're doing great. I was like, you know, so it's just all these little things like that. As you go along through it, you feel like a fear that you've written something that's rubbish or you feel, a, you, you know, you start to worry about things and, and you realize it's just, it's not true. It's just the schooled mindset that you've internalized. So I think that again has been an invaluable part for me. It's helped me to back off my kids. You know, it's helped me to realize that, if that I don't need to do certain things around their learning or what the impact is of doing them, you know, on their experience of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I we are so we have learned to so willingly kind of give up our power. Like you, you mentioned that as as the the power over and the to feel expectations um, from from everyone around us, right? Because yeah. that's that's what we have learned that that you know that that relationship between um, most other people in our lives is, is all built around expectation, right? We grew up with expectations mm-hmm. from our parents. We had expectations from teachers, you know, every adult had a lot of expectations on top of us. And I can just, I would, I imagine I would have had the same reaction if I, if that thing showed up on me. So that was, a, I read your blog post as you were working through that. And I thought, it was really fascinating because I could imagine having exactly the same reaction at first, but then you have to do the work to move through it, right? And and place it in in your in our own context, right? That's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That it's just accept, you know, addressing it's addressing that feeling that someone other than us is what's right or wrong and what's good or bad. Mm-hmm. You know that, that someone else has this has this authority and this opinion. And don't get me wrong; like I definitely respect and really value the opinions of other people. It's not about just denying that anyone has anything meaningful to say to you, but it's also about you know taking ownership of your own art, your own stuff, and just saying, well, actually, you know, for where I'm at right now, like this is what I'm doing. This is this is what I can do. This is what's the best that I'm doing right now, and that's actually enough for right now. And it's a process. So, yeah. Oh, and plus, yeah, so. it's it's how um, noticing how we also think people have expectations of us that they, you know, he really didn't have the expectation on you that you would use that. And um, so often, if we take that next step rather than just um, taking in the burden of, that we think other people are trying to hand to us, that they're, they mm-hmm. aren't handing it as much as we think, right? We we kind of yeah, jump to exactly. the worst in, in so much. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, you are working your way through Module 1, which is the history of childhood. And I find the distinction that you had mentioned earlier between children and childhood really interesting because with unschooling we're focused on children's lives and parenting and that day-to-day stuff whereas the concept of childhood is tightly woven into societal systems so I was wondering what your thoughts were around that distinction I'd love to hear you talk about that yeah sure so essentially like children or a child is like a state of being it's a season of life um, whereas childhood is that the environment in which a child or children exist mm-hmm. and the childhood bit is socially constructed. 
and it's shifted and changed like over the centuries and depending on where you are in the world it can look completely different so what I think is interesting is to imagine like how those two things sort of relate to each other because essentially like the nature of being a child hasn't really changed you know very much but you how we experience childhood has the potential of like changing and the problem that we have is that the construct of childhood has happened um, in the midst of different prejudices biases beliefs about what it means to be a child and that is very very similar to how how women have experienced their lives over the past centuries and thousands of years and what it boils down to is that we live in this patriarchal structure of power dynamic and that can be seen in you know on a national level through how government works it can be seen through how institutions like schools are structured and it can also be seen on the level of how families are structured and patriarchal systems are dependent on people holding certain beliefs about why they aren't allowed power and why they should see someone else as a majority over them so you know over over the centuries there have been lots of different explanations through science philosophy religion any discipline you want really that have justified children being essentially at the mercy of power of their father originally and now i would just say parents because um there's been a bit of a agenda you know shift where now mothers can also access that like position of power that was once held for fathers mm-hmm. um and that is just you know that those beliefs that have made that system work and maintain and perpetuate have totally warped um, not only our beliefs and ideas about the state of being a child, but also how we've gone about constructing childhood around that. So yeah, it's interesting. I mean, <laughs> no, the thing that I find really. Um, really uh, useful about distinguishing between being a child and the identity of, of being a child and childhood is that once you understand that childhood is a construct you also can understand that it can be deconstructed and reconstructed mm-hmm. so it's not it, it's only a fixed thing if we continue to participate in the construct and if we c- carry on holding the beliefs that inform that construct in existing So if we like move our beliefs, if we challenge our biases about children, then we can reconstruct. And essentially, I think that's what unschooling families are doing. They're deconstructing a patriarchal construct of childhood and they're reconstructing in within their own family units a much more um, uh, consensual and balanced dynamic. You know, they're not they're not trying to perpetuate and maintain this power over dynamic. Um, they're seeing children as people and that is extremely radical like that that's probably the most powerful political thing that an individual can do is to to recognize the personhood of a child yeah you know what i find fascinating just just as an aside here um and it goes back to uh, you were talking earlier how you know you were when you had your children um, and you were engaging with them in what you later learned would be called kind of a attachment parenting style, right? Even though mm-hmm. you, uh, and I found the same thing. I didn't, that's where my instincts took me. I didn't know the term at the time when my kids were younger. And now um, I, as I'd mentioned earlier, <laughs> I've come across this um, concept of, of the theory of childhood and the construction of childhood. But a couple of years ago, like starting last year, um, when I was working with Anne on bringing together a conference, I called it childhood redefined mm-hmm. because that is where it, it seems like my mind gets to places um, before I really understand before yeah, I see maybe I the bigger picture. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> because it's now that I'm realizing what that means. And it means so much more than I knew at the time, right? Yeah, I, I completely relate to that. And that's that was a big part of the motivation behind me doing the Unschooled Masters. Because exactly. I'm, 
could see what was happening. I, I could understand what was happening, but I didn't understand how we came to this point. Mm-hmm. And so for me, history is just understanding about what has happened before. Like what happened to lead this into this into this. And when you look at the history behind all of this, it's absolutely fascinating. And we're talking about 4,000 years worth of like perpetuated habits and 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 behaviours that, you know, are, are kind of detrimental actually to everyone and to the planet. It's just interesting. And I, I find it helps to understand because, you know, one of the things that I think can be a barrier to this progress is that people feel... They feel like they're doing it right, but because it's so contrasting to the majority, it starts to make them experience other negative, um, you know, negative things. Like they feel anxiety, they feel depressed, they feel stressed. They maybe feel angry because it's so hard. Because none of our systems are set up to accommodate and support this mm-hmm. new paradigm. And to me, if you understand like why we're at where we're at, not only does it help you to empathise with people that are not on the same path as you, um, and to let that go, you know, not just to accept it and be like, okay, that's cool. You know, they're doing, they're where they're at and I'm where I'm at probably for these reasons. And that doesn't make what I'm doing, it, you know, doesn't, just because what I'm doing isn't what the majority are doing, it doesn't diminish in any way the meaningfulness of what I'm doing. And I think that's encouraging. Oh, I love that point that it, it helps you um, better understand other people because you once you start looking at the history of it, you can see how um, those ideas have, have come around. And, and yes, you can better uh, understand and empathize with how they've come to the choices that they've made. And exactly, it doesn't diminish our choices either. That that was one of, one of the stages where it, it made it so much easier for me to just be out in the world, you know, and not, not feel so defensive. Um, when people ask me questions or were curious about what we did, you know what I mean? All of a sudden we were just, you know, we're all living together and we're, we're making our own personal choices. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was curious what one of the most interesting connections between your studies and unschooling that you've come across so far, you were talking about how, um, the, the, how you feel like you're, you're living, um, the unschooling learning style by doing this, but it, I was wondering if there were any other connections that you could share. Um, I guess, you know, probably the most useful thing is just being able to, to imagine what it looks like with the constructs that exist, just being redefined. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's easy to get sort of trapped in this battle where you feel like the the way to 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 deal with the things that are, are there that probably that you don't think are serving people well is to kind of like go for them, you know, mm-hmm. like we've got to take down the schools or whatever it is. You know, I can, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can been in that place. I've like felt that feeling where you just feel like it's someone's got to stop it, you know. Um, but actually, through through unschooling the masters and and the content that I've been learning and and just understanding things better and understanding how things have come to be you know schooling has come to be because it it suited some people and some people's beliefs at a time and then it became socially normalized and then people started depending on it because other things shifted like work patterns shifted and and you know, lots of factors kind of came together that meant that people became really dependent on it existing. Um, but it's only one way to solve those problems. And so I think that how I feel like I can just release like that, I can release the systems that exist and just focus all my energy and attention on on what comes next. Like what's better than this? How do we how do we go about constructing something which is just such an easy, preferable option? what has been existing so far and that's just a really exciting place to be that's like way more exciting than like getting down in the current things the way they are you know yeah (laughs) awesome (laughs) you're coming up on one year now for your unschooled master of arts and I was wondering what you've learned about the process up to this point and about yourself how well has it meshed with your unschooling lives yeah, it's been great. Um, the flexibility is the main thing. I think if I hadn't been, you know, doing things in such a flexible way, then I just wouldn't have been able to do it. 
you know, if I'd gone to do it the traditional way by registering at university and paying up, I probably right now I'd be like totally traumatized and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anxiety. My kids would be crying. My husband would be like not being able to cope. I personally would be drinking loads of alcohol every day. It just wouldn't be working. So, um, <laughs> The, you know the flexibility that's given me where I can have it sitting there it's just waiting until I'm ready to come to it again and, and re-engage with it again is just means that it's possible you know it, unschooling alone is like enough and doing other things in addition to that you know you have to make them work around you it's not going you, you know there's only so far you can bend I think um and just to, you know I'm just so encouraged that that um my experience of it has just been so effective. It's so targeted. It's so useful. It's so meaningful. It's like learning because you really want to and need to, and that you can see the immediate usefulness of what you've learned. And that's just given me loads of um, confidence and encouragement when it comes to the rest of my family and their experiences, you know, um, just being able to really lean into it and believe that we're on the right path, basically. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you, I was thinking, um, I imagine that you find that it kind of flows in with your family too. So, you know, sometimes you have lots of time or, or comparatively more time that you can dedicate to it. And then as other things come up and it goes away, I, I imagine it helps, um, you see how even, even, even related to your children's learning, right? How some interests flow and they get focused on for a while and then they go away for a while and then they come back. It's just a, a nice microcosm of, of the way natural learning works, I imagine, yes? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's <laughs> and that's so helpful because then you don't get frustrated. You know, you're mm-hmm. not like, oh no, they're not doing this anymore. Oh no, maybe they should be doing this right now. It's like, relax, you know, yeah, if it, coming back to this because I feel so passionate about it like I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing it works it's it draws on all my strengths it's doing what I need it to do and I, I think I said in the post like my last post probably I was like I if this takes me my whole life that's fine you know I don't mind because I want to be doing this I will just put it down and pick it up enough times until I get where I want to go oh, you know and lovely. and yeah. that's my experience and so it makes me feel like you said, like what observing how my children are, are taking their journeys. I'm like, Oh cool. That's your experience. Mm-hmm. That's how your thing goes. Like, that's fine. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you wrote a post on your blog a while ago that was exploring some ideas about consent in education. And in it, you talked about um, negative stereotypes of, children that society holds and learning through mistakes and I'd love to hear some more of your thoughts around that Mm. so there's lots of stereotypes like I mentioned earlier on about how we're living within this you know I think the tail end of this patriarchal system of um, power where there's like power at the top and then um, there's the underlings basically and um, and that there have been a lot of narratives over time that have you know served to justify this paradigm continuing and there are just so many stereotypes about children that justify adults kind of using their power over them and that and diminishing the idea that children should be given the opportunity to consent to their experiences and you know what goes on. Um, and I think that, you know, that's just not really very helpful because if as a society we live with our children in a way that just deprives them of, of, understanding the power of their own voice and you know knowing bodily autonomy knowing intellectual autonomy and and um believing in themselves then there are massive consequences for us like as individuals and society as a whole so it's not that useful to to carry on holding these beliefs and biases about children that that make it okay for adults just to use their power over them however they want um and you know the thing with stereotypes is is that it's not necessarily the case that a stereotype isn't isn't true it's just not always true you know mm-hmm. so it might be that you think oh you know children just mess stuff up so adults are better like make sure they don't do that and then therefore justifying why adults are like hyper controlling over things you know all people sometimes mess stuff up 
know, I messed up my bedroom. It's got laundry everywhere. You know, it's just sometimes people do that. So it's like, no, it's not, we don't need to idolize anyone or kind of make them into these, you know, you know, romanticize humans. Like humans are messy and complex and they do stuff. Like they try and meet their own needs and sometimes meeting their needs looks really super messy and it causes them to do stuff that you don't really understand. Um, the, the point is, is that, if you just believe that's just how children are, um, then it can lead to you to just be not listening. You know, we need to like look at people as individuals and and try and understand like, well, why is this happening? You know, is this is there a a, a reason underlying here that you know I could support the person in 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 resolving, which would then enable them to to do things in a way that was more helpful to them. You know, that it just. It, prejudices and biases and stereotypes diminish our ability to be able to connect and to treat people as individuals and to empathize and to understand differences and things so um yeah I mean does that answer your question (laughs) (laughs) where did I start with that (laughs) I know right (laughs) but I loved I loved your point you know that's we talk about that so much um with Unschooling and and the Q and A questions that we get, it to see your children as as individuals and and you know what you just get you don't even need to use the word children right we're all individuals, um, we're all people and we all have our set of of experiences and needs and strengths and weaknesses like even the parents and the kids, and those all just kind of come to the table when we're interacting with each other, right? We can just interact with each other as individual people. And the beauty of that is is once you've dropped that lens of, of stereotypes, or here we're back to expectations, the way you expect kids to be, those stereotypes, mm-hmm. right? Once you get rid of those and see them, that's, I think a huge step in realizing how capable they are. I know um, Carlo Ricci uh, is, is a professor in alternative education here in Toronto as well. And that's his big um, takeaway. He loves to talk about how capable children are. And when we're stuck behind all those stereotypes and biases and expectations of children, we, we have minimized them. We don't see how capable they are, right? No. And the other problem is that historically, our biases and beliefs around children have have kind of come from this place of we're all born sinners. Like we're all bad, basically. Yeah. So you need adults need to do something to make sure that that children are good. And that 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 underlying belief, like, uh oh, if you just leave them to it, they're going to be like super bad. So you must quickly jump in and do something to make sure they're good. This, this mm-hmm. just even just the basic idea that people are either bad or good, you know, or doing something is either bad or good. The how, how judgment loaded our beliefs are about children. Again, it just inhibits our ability to be able to see what's actually happening and just to 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 think about it and be like, okay, I don't need to like panic that I have like a bad child, like the worst thing in society you can possibly ever have. Like, oh no, my child's bad because they're doing X. And actually just be able to be like, well, you know, like everyone's different and everyone is, you know, interacting with the world in their own way from their own perspective. And is at a different stage and, you know, has had different experiences up until now. And and you know, it comes back to how people go about meeting their needs and how easy it is for them to meet them or how not easy. You know, it's so complex. Like humans are complex beings. It's not it's not simple. It's If it was simple, then that would be great. And maybe that's why people are so attached to this idea that like mm-hmm. of right and wrong you know it's yeah. very black and white it's much more simple like oh yeah i'll just punish you or i'll just reward reward you you know it makes things a lot easier in a way to understand if you look at it like that but that's that's not true you know that's not how it actually is and so i think if you getting past these beliefs that really reduce humans and particularly children down to this idea of like being good or bad and instead just see humans as humans. And like you said, this goes for parents too. It goes for everyone. Like we've all got light and shade, you know, under certain <laughs> conditions, no matter your age, you may do things that are not in keeping with your own beliefs because of what's going on around you or, or what's happening. You know, so if we can accept, probably it starts like most of this stuff, like with parents and how we understand ourselves, 
and understanding that that we're not perfect beings and that we all, you know, make mistakes and take risks and do things that we maybe don't even agree with ourselves, but for other reasons. And, you know, just accepting our own, our own complexity is going to help us, I think, to understand that children are just as complex. I love that idea because, you know, when you think about yourself, clearly, um, you know, when you try, when you can get rid of that judgment piece, because, um, you know, like you said, sometimes we make choices that, that we wouldn't, um, that, that aren't as much in alignment with us, but we know why we made that choice in that moment. There is, you know, some external force, you know, when we talk about how we rationalize our choices or our decisions, you know, there was something going on unique to that situation that had us making choice X when normally we would make choice Y, you know, Mm -hmm. and and to start to understand the bigger picture of of ourselves um, really helps us start to. Again, that that was one of the things that helped me step past that um, parent-child power dynamic to realize that we're all individuals and and you know sometimes I make a less than ideal choice in a moment and it, there's nothing wrong with my that happens to my child too and being understanding and empathetic to that and that's one thing um, that I find parents do is. You know, if our child makes that choice X in a moment, all of a sudden we're envisioning they're going to make that choice X forever. Right. And that's that's Mm -hmm. the whole idea of they're going to be a bad person growing up because they made this um, not so great decision or choice in that moment. They're going to be making that choice forever and ever. You know, people worry he gets so upset and frustrated and he throws his toy. I don't want him to be an adult throwing things around when he gets mad. Well, you know, that is a huge leap to make, you know. <laughs> totally. But you know what else I think is that that there is a, a lot of resistance to adults having a, being emotionally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we really connect into, like, the world we live in and think about it, then it's, like, really troubling, I think. And... It helps maintain the status quo if adults don't go there. You know, if we don't get sad about those things, if we don't think about them, if we just ignore them or deny that that's reality. Yeah. And so I think in a way, like, I think it's an unconscious thing that's inherited is this idea that, like, we have to we have to train children out of their emotionalness. You know, we have to kind of, like, diminish their ability to feel and connect with what's going on around them. And I really believe that if we do that, then then things are going to really get worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, what we need to be doing at this stage in the evolution of humanity is really supporting people safely in not diminishing that side of themselves, like maintaining an openness and an awareness to the world we live in and um and a desire for greater justice and a desire for, um, you know, us to be better caretakers of the planet we live on and so on. Because you see that in children, like straight away, like from such mm-hmm. a young age, an awareness of that. You know, then they notice. Like if they're given the space to do so, they are they are empathetic straight away, I think. Yep. And, and so partly, you know, again, this kind of feeds into this whole idea about what is the construct of childhood. Like why part of the construct of childhood I think we've inherited is a process of desensitization and a justification for the world being the way it is. Like it just has to be that way, you know, and I don't agree with that. So personally, I think that as parents, if we can hold space for our children to communicate their emotional reactions and to not be satisfied with the idea that like that's just the way it is because some adults that like know loads of stuff have determined that it's the best we can do, you know, mm-hmm. and to question and things. And that in terms of social change and shifting things is just incredibly powerful. I really think so. Oh, I really think so too. I, you know, I almost feel like that we're protecting our children's heart. You know, when I think of um, their fire, their passion, their, their beingness, um, 
so that it's not um, diminished or controlled or, you know, just just what you were talking about, that they're um, that this is just the way it is. Right. But mm-hmm. to I feel like we're helping them show up whole as adults. You know what I mean? Like, I totally who, who they really were when they when they were born. That aligns so nicely with with what you said, because they are empathetic. They are understanding. They see so much from like understand so much from a young age and they are capable. And and I see unschooling as being able to keep that whole as they grow. We're born yeah. like ourselves. And then mm-hmm. it's really interesting, actually, there's um, a fascinating woman called Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and she did a lot of work um, with people who knew they were about to die, children and adults. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she said that it was always easier to work with the children because they hadn't been corrupted yet. Yeah. And the adults were the ones that had, like, masses of issues and baggage around dying because they had loads of regrets and, you know, their life had gone this way or that way and their relationships were way more complex. And I think that that, you know, that explains a bit of what we're talking about here, that we start off like we come to the world kind of ready, I feel like. You know, we're like, hi, I'm here. Like, what, what should I do? You know, ready to serve yeah. each other and to listen and so on. And then throughout our, our, the construct of childhood that we have, like at the moment, or, the, you know, the, the dominating one, just diminishes that. It's like a disorientation process. Like, you kind of get turned and turned and turned, like, until you <laughs> then get... Again, it's like, welcome to adulthood where you can actually do stuff. And by the time you're there, you've completely, like, lost grip or belief in that original self, you know? Like, where mm-hmm. am I? And then the self-help industry, like, helps you out by selling you loads of books and, like, opportunities to get back to that place where you were in the first place. It's like, yeah, just not done the spinning, you know what I mean? <laughs> Stop spinning them. I love that image. Stop spinning. And the thing is, is that if we enter relationships, like let's say we enter marriages, we have children, whilst under the conditions of having been spun, and I think this happens so much, you're not entering into those relationships really consensually, or at least you're not entering as your authentic self. So what mm-hmm. are you then? You know what I mean? Like what? Yep. Then it's a few years down the line where I think people struggle. Like, it's hard to maintain being distanced from yourself. People want to be themselves. It's like a really strong need. And if you then discover that the self that you are just isn't really compatible with the decisions that you've made, then you hit problems. You know, you then you think, well, I don't really fit here. This isn't really what I actually, you know, the, the thing that works for me, like the real me, you know. And, and so personally, I feel like for... For, for um, just imagining like our children's adult experiences, experiences when they're older, when they're making like much higher um, risk choices, like to get married or to buy a property or taking this job or that job or where, where they're going to live and stuff, you know, help them out by not disorientating them, you know, just like allow them to be themselves the whole way. And then hopefully when they reach the point of making those decisions, they're going to be so much closer to what they actually want to do. Down. Yeah, that's amazing. It's such a great way to to think about it. You're trying to, well, not disorient them, but yeah, keeping them. And and that's the nice thing that we're doing is is um, helping them, um, supporting them as they're figuring out um, themselves too. Like not only are we not disorienting them, we're supporting them and helping them as they explore the world to figure out how, um, they authentically, although that's overused word now, it seems, but how they authentically, um, engage with the world personally and where they are interested in contributing or being involved in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, I did have a last question here uh, about the issue of childism and adultism, because I know it's very close to your heart having this conversation. Um, and I think it's really all all part of what we've been talking about. So I was just wondering if there was any other um, piece of that puzzle that you would like to share, uh, maybe talk about the, the concept itself as it's defined. Mm. So there isn't like a universally 
in terms to describe this um, yeah. dynamic. Um, so there's people use different things. So childism is used by some, other people use adultism, but essentially what it boils down to is the prejudice and discrimination and stereotyping that children experience on the basis of being ch identified as children. So, you know, it's the equivalent for children that you would use racism to describe discrimination and prejudice and stereotyping based on race um, or sexism based on gender identity. So um, it's just highlighting that as an area of um, inequality and um, and, it, you know, it's useful, I think. It's, it's not widely accepted at all. You know, we're we're at a point where I think there's a growing awareness of the fact that this prejudice and discrimination exists because the thing is, is that historically it's been normalised as being necessary. Like children are, mm -hmm. you know, lesser people. Like it's just natural to consider them as being less. And that's that's the narrative and the story that we've been given, you know, over lots and lots and lots of years that we've talked about in this conversation earlier on. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but you can think also, like, historically, the same is true for these other groups. You know, historically, science has told us that black people are less because, you know, physically and, and intellectually. And there's been scientific evidence, like, that's been offered to people to prove that. Now, I don't think anyone, or maybe some people, but hopefully not, would still maintain that to be the case. Yeah. But that has underpinned, you know, and has perpetuated racism. And mm -hmm. the same thing is exactly true for women. You know, this idea that women are lesser than men. It's like been, there's been plenty of evidence, in inverted commas, like offered to prove that to be true. And, and we're in the same place with children. You know, people will say that it's just natural for, for children to be diminished or um, you know, that the, the, the prejudice is justified. But I don't agree with that at all. So for me, this is, you know, really, when it comes down to it, um, because of the way that people are treated as children, like our construct of childhood, and um, because of this power over dyna dynamic, that experience of living within the power over dynamic and that being normalised, we kind of internalise that ourselves. So you start to believe, I think, that it's normal for some people to exert their power over others. And it can even be in other people's best interests to, for some people to, to overpower them. Um, and if you establish that in your brain, you know, and in your unconscious bias, the belief that some people are entitled to power over other people, then and it affects your um, feeling of outrage when you see that happening to other groups, like groups other than yourself, I think. Mm -hmm. um, which I think is why people tend to become activated within their own groups in justice, but don't necessarily understand the other, other, you know, the, the importance in challenging injustice experienced by other groups, because you kind of think maybe there's a reason for it, right? Mm -hmm. Unconsciously. Yeah. So, so if we kind of like scrap this idea that it's okay just to wield power over another person, like, and instead really promote this idea that consent like is meaningful that people should like you know um have a say in like how they're treated and aren't just at the mercy of another group for a particular distinguishing factor and if we as families like live in a way that challenges like childism because if that is you know one of the key roots of all these other you know that underpins all of these other discriminations in our society then theoretically um, you reduce the chance of that, that power over dynamic being internalised and justified. And so the upshot is a society that doesn't accept prejudice and doesn't accept discrimination, um, which would be great. <laughs> that's social justice, you know. It, you know, it's quite an exciting sort of uh, um, formula, really. You know, teach children that, people have a right and entitlement to over other people and they will stop thinking that's okay you know as adults and, and everything else um I, so yeah i was gonna say can you imagine i i know just thinking about it um you know that that power over dynamic it, is it's the basis of so of uh, so many um Issues. I mean, you can see it play out in in our adult lives all over the place. And to imagine that, um, our, we're helping our children learn a different way, right? It's not like this is bad, but the whole consent and the ability to um, 
work consensually with the people around us and and just figure things out just on the small micro level, um, even within our families, how that will go out into the world. Like I, I think I've mentioned before, you know, with with my kids as they became um, you know teenagers and we're hanging out um, in a larger social circle, that ability that they had to just look at situations and help people, you know, the people in their small social group um, just find a consensual path forward for what they were looking to do. That was something that their friends appreciated and noticed because that was not something um, that their friends were able to do. It was like, you know, three people wanted to do X, two people wanted to do Y, so we did X. That's just and and the other people lost because they didn't yeah. have enough people wanting to do it. That that was just totally accepted as the path forward. And, you know, for my kids to maybe sometimes find a Z that everybody was happy to do. Exactly. Or, or find an X, Y combination that they could do. This was something that that their friends just found so different. I remember I I went to I was in New York and we went to an event and um, my daughter's friends were there. It was it was an art show and every one of them came up to me. Um, you know, we were just there. They had the music on. We we're walking around, whatever. But throughout the night, every one of them came up to me and said, you know, how much they appreciated Lissy. And it was, you know, totally unexpected to me. But it was a point like just how she is in the world is very different than most um, even of her peers expect. And they notice the difference. So that just had me thinking about it. And, you know, when you were talking about it, that's what jumped to mind. Like our children um, growing up and learning a different uh, social dynamic or relationship dynamic, a different way of being with other people um, makes such a big difference when they uh, go out, reach out further into the world, eh? Yeah, 100%. That, that makes sense? <laughs> yeah, uh, completely, completely. Because this is like, you know, look at the new neuroscience around this, which is fledgling, but, you know, it's, it's maybe useful to think about the fact, like, we're talking about how, how people wire their brains. You know, it's like how, how what, they, what we experience, like, affects how our brains are, like, wired, it's not just what we think. It's like how our bodies work. You know, your wor- our bodies, you know, are working in this new paradigm. Like you were saying with your daughter, she's coming into those spaces as like a new type of person. Like that sounds so dramatic, yeah. but it's kind of true, you know. And and actually, I think this always just makes me think about environmental issues because my feeling is that the environmental movement just hasn't worked so far. I think what's happened is that this idea that like everything is going wrong and the planet's like, you know, ah, we have to save it has just caused more fear. And when there's more fear, people become more authoritarian and they, they seek authoritarian leadership. Right. So it's kind of massively backfired, like getting people scared about global warming and stuff. However, if you take this route, right. And instead you, but you base everything on the ideas of consent and about human rights, children's rights, and so on, you realize straight away that violating and, um, uh, you know, using the environment without consent is a no-no. And obviously the earth, like, can't speak particularly, you know, it can't verbalise, like, yes or no. But you can imagine, like, if you've got the skill of empathy, you know, if, if, you've, yeah. if you've experienced empathy and you're able to use your own empathy, then you can think, now, would the ocean consent to be, like, massively polluted? Mm-hmm. Nah, probably not. You know, would and, and you can extend that, like, would the forest like really want to be deforested? Like if it could say itself, no, it wouldn't. So we have to find like you're saying, what's the X, Y solution? What's the what's the other solution? What's the consensual solution which doesn't diminish the dignity of anyone involved? Like, how do we find something that everyone can accept? And and the potential impact of that shift, we're talking about human evolution here. Okay, it's a shift. We're moving out of one paradigm, the power over one. It was useful in the Bronze Age. It's not useful to us anymore. Like it's detrimental to us now. Everything's changed. It's not working for us anymore. We have to like release it. And this process, like um, 
maybe unbeknownst to like loads of unschoolers, I don't know. But this process is part of human evolution. It's what helps us get to that place where things are okay. Yeah. Well, now that I have goosebumps, <laughs> and we could talk about this forever, but I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Sophie. It was such a lovely conversation. Thank you. Oh, I loved it too, Pam. Thank you so much for reaching out. It was just great to connect with you again. Oh, it was super lovely. Thank you. And before we go, where's the best place for people to connect with you online? And if they want to follow your Unschooling Master of Arts blog. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm on Twitter at S Crispy, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-Y. It's a bit of an unusually spelled surname. Uh, <laughs> and then my blogs are, um, I've got www.sophiechristoffi.wordpress.com. And my Unschooled Masters can be found at www.unschooledmasters.wordpress.com. I'm on Facebook too, just at Sophie Christoffi. Awesome. And I will put links to all that in the show notes. And I would love to wish you a great day. Thank, Thank you very you, much. Too. Thank you. All the best. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the Tuck Talks. For six years, I hosted the Toronto Unschooling Conference. It was an amazing experience and I loved meeting many wonderful unschooling families. Though I no longer host the conference, the unschooling insights shared by the amazing speakers over the years are timeless. You can listen to all 25 talks for free on my website at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash conference. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.